0: Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 161 of the Employment Law and HR podcast. I'm your host Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice where we provide advice and assistance to employers and employees all over the UK. Together with my colleagues we're helping to improve the world of work for all. This week I'm really pleased to be finally talking about something other than furlough and this is something that came up uh, a few weeks back which I've been waiting to talk about just getting all the furlough news out of the way. Of course if there are any updates in relation to furlough I will give you those updates here or if you follow me on LinkedIn is the first place that I post them but otherwise I'm going to get into this week's featured content. In today's episode I'm going to talk about a case in the Employment Appeal Tribunal and this isn't really about the facts of the case or the judgment that was made in relation to the employee's claim but more to do with the direction um, that the judge made in the case and the direction that was made in the case is helpful for anyone who is dealing with cases in the employment tribunal. So if you act for employers or employees really, um, putting in claims, or if you're working for your own company or in HR and you have to deal with a claim, um, about how you deal with it when you put the particulars of claim in, if you're making a claim, when you're doing the response, if you're the respondent. So the case I'm referring to is known as C versus D and it is an Employment Appeal Tribunal case and the judgment was published on the 10th of September this year and it's a judgment from her honour Judge Tucker and it's in relation to a claim that was made by an employee and the employee had made claims, various claims in the Employment Tribunal including discrimination and it was an appeal made by the employee against the refusal to allow amendments to be made to her claims to add additional claims for harassment and reasonable adjustments. Now as I say the facts of the case aren't really relevant here because what is relevant is how her honour judge Tucker dealt with the issue of pleadings. Pleadings if you Aren't familiar with the term are what we call the particulars or the details of the claim that's made, or um, in relation to the defence, what we call the response or the grounds for response. And it's really interesting because for the first time in a while, an employment judge has come out with some direction for practitioners on how to address claims when you're putting a claim into the employment tribunal, particularly. So in this case. The employee who had made the claim was legally represented and in her original claim she'd claimed discrimination in relation to disability and sex and her particulars of claim, the details of her claims, were six pages long and 37 paragraphs which Her Honour Judge Tucker considered to be excessive. Now what has happened over the years and certainly when I was a trainee solicitor several years ago, we were taught that you, within the claim form, you tick the boxes, you fill in the information that you're required to, and then you attach to that what are known as the particulars of claim. And this is normally dealt with in a separate document with numbered paragraphs. And you traditionally would set out the background, the facts of the case and then summarise the claims that you're making um, in in a very narrative style and often you put in as much information as you can at the time to avoid a situation where you're not then allowed to bring up something or deal with a claim later on because the Employment Tribunal and time limits are very important if you haven't put everything in your claim form, then you have to make an application to amend, which is what was happening in this case, which is why it went to appeal, because the uh, employee wanted to add additional elements to her claim. And so over time, you've, and certainly I was taught to put in a lot of detail in the particulars of claim. And the same goes for the response. Often, They're slightly shorter, but you address every sort of point and deal with the facts of the case. And so the pleadings in employment tribunal claims can be fairly long, as identified by Her Honour Judge Tucker in this case. But as I say, the judge was very critical of this kind of standard practice that our solicitors and, and legal folk have adopted of putting together a long narrative in relation to the case. And to set out some guidance, if you like, for practitioners on how particulars of claim and defences should be dealt with going forward. The main things that were identified by Her Honour Judge Tucker in this case are that the particulars of claim did not set out clearly which facts related to which protected characteristic so in relation to the claims for disability and sex it wasn't clear which of the facts related to which protected characteristic she was claiming at that point they did not set out the particular type of discrimination that she was asserting and the statutory provision that's relied upon so when you're claiming discrimination there are various elements like direct discrimination, indirect discrimination, harassment, reasonable adjustments, etc. So it wasn't set out which particular type of discrimination was being claimed, um, nor were the statutory provisions relied upon in respect of the factual allegations set out. So that is referring to the particular part of the uh, Equality Act that were was relevant here. The judge said that the particulars were in a narrative format, as I was saying earlier, has become standard practice. And she said that they were similar to a witness statement. And in particular, she said, I do not encourage parties, particularly lawyers, to engage in that type of narrative pleading. So very clear about what we need to avoid. And in giving guidance on what they should be like, she said, they should be more succinct and there should be a clear drafting style. There should be a brief statement of relevant facts and the course of action that's relied upon. There should, be clear, there should be a clear indication which facts are relevant to which claim, and it should set out the key facts only. So there's no need when you're making a claim to include absolutely everything within the details of the particulars of claim, just the relevant facts to the particular claims that are being made. So, what that means then is if somebody is making a claim for harassment, for example, that they set out that their claim is for harassment in relation to which protected characteristic that is, and then which element of the Equality Act they're relying on, and then the facts that are relevant to that claim for harassment. So, probably the the best thing to do would be to have a heading with the elements of the claim. The statutory provision, and then the underneath that the facts that are being relied upon. And in relation to responses, she also added that a response should admit, not admit, or deny facts and claims, and where appropriate, a brief summary of facts that are relevant to the claims that the respondents assert occurred. So just a brief summary is required by the respondent and it's not necessary to go through every single paragraph of the claimant's claims and respond with facts in response to that basically. It's enough to to set out the main points and then admit, deny or not admit any of the facts in the claimant's claim. It was clear from the judgment in this case that there had been a number of issues, additional costs for the parties and time for the employment tribunal because the original claims and defence weren't set out in a clear and succinct way. Because of the way in which the claim had been submitted the respondents here had applied for particularisation and further better particulars so further detail although the uh, particulars ran to 37 paragraphs they didn't consider that there was enough information in there to be able to respond and the employment tribunal had ordered further particulars and the creation of a list of issues and that's when the problems arose because the respondents objected to the list of issues that was being submitted by the the claimant in this case, the employee. And that's where it then went to the employment judge to decide whether or not these additional claims of harassment and reasonable adjustments were allowed. And that's then resulted in the subsequent appeal, which has led to this criticism by Her Honour Judge Tucker in relation to the way in which the case has been pleaded and managed. Clearly, if the employee in this case had put down her claim's clearly and succinctly at the outset, then it would have saved quite a lot of time and cost for everyone all round. And I think that's what the motivation behind Her Honour Judge Tucker's directions are in this case, is that actually the employment tribunals are currently flooded and are very under-resourced and there has been a lot of backlog because of COVID. And so the easier us as Uh, HR professionals, solicitors, or even if you're a litigant in person pursuing a case or defending a case, the easier we can make it for the Employment Tribunal, the better in terms of being very direct about what we're claiming and dealing with paperwork in a succinct manner um, and not flooding the Employment Tribunal with lots of papers and evidence. Now, obviously, as an employment law specialist and practitioner and someone who's always dealing with the employment tribunal, I found this case interesting and very helpful, actually, very helpful guidance here on how to put together a particular claim. And I found it interesting, of course. But the other reason I wanted to cover this in the podcast is because My colleague Miranda received a letter from the Employment Tribunal in relation to a case that we're dealing with and this was on the 13th of October and within the letter containing the response the Employment Tribunal have essentially given us a bit of a ticking off in relation to the particulars of claim and it says the length of the particulars of claim was unnecessary in this case whilst I make no order requiring them to be re-pleaded, they will inevitably place a greater strain on the tribunal's resources as they will need to be read whenever the case is considered. It is regrettable that the claimant was unaware of the guidance in C versus D as follows and I'll read it to you. A claim form sets out a legal claim. It is not a witness statement. Ideally in a claim form the author should seek to set out a brief statement of relevant facts and the cause of action relied upon by the claimant. The purpose of doing so is to allow the other side to understand what it is that they have done or not done, which is said to be unlawful. It should be clear from the document, the claim form itself, within the brief summary of the relevant factual events, which facts are relevant to which claim if more than one is advanced. And unfortunately for my colleague, we actually submitted the claim prior to the judgment in this case being published so we did get a bit of a ticking off from the judge here but we at the time the claim was submitted hadn't been aware of the guidance from the C versus D case so now that we know We are obviously re-looking at our processes in terms of how we submit claims and what we're doing and to make things easier for ourselves actually when we're helping out our clients and customers and also obviously helping to save time and therefore costs. But I thought it'd be useful for you to know that obviously this judgment is now being looked at by judges uh, when they are dealing with cases. And if you are also guilty of submitting um, long wordy particulars of claim which you know we have as practitioners done for many many years um, then you are likely to receive a response such as the one that we have received so it's really interesting to see as I say firsthand the application of the judgment in this employment appeal tribunal case is now being felt by the judges and practitioners on the ground So. Hopefully you found that helpful for you and if you are dealing with a case you've got some guidance there and I'd certainly recommend going over and having a look at the judgment. I'll put a link to it in the show notes which are available on realemploymentadvicecouk forward slash podcast and of course if you have any questions or you have a claim or you're defending a claim and you're not really sure how to do it then that's certainly something that we can help with. Finally while I'm on the topic of claims and making claims. One thing I did want to uh, make you aware of is that if you are um, acting for an employee or an employer, whichever way, in the employment tribunal, there's no need to start sending evidence along with your claim form or your response what I often see from people who are representing themselves or from practitioners who aren't experienced in the employment tribunal is that they will send their copies of the evidence attached to the claim form. Now, you don't have to do that and the employment tribunal won't want to see the evidence until right at the end when you're doing the, the final hearing. There is a process which is known as disclosure, which you're required to do in the preparation for the final hearing, which is where you exchange evidence with the other party. um, But there is no requirement to send it to the employment tribunal. And the same thing goes with correspondence. Again, often I will see that the other party will copy the employment tribunal in to correspondence between us. And again, the employment tribunal don't need to see the correspondence between us in every case. If you're making an application to the Employment Tribunal, of course, you'd send any relevant correspondence to your application along with your application. But otherwise, they don't need to be copied in. And this seems to be something that, again, individuals who are representing themselves or employers who are representing themselves will do. It doesn't give you any advantage and actually um, it can be quite annoying for the Employment Tribunal. As we've seen, they like things to be succinct and straightforward so that there isn't an abundance of paperwork to review every time they pick up the case file. Mm So hopefully you found that episode helpful and will help you going forward and hopefully help you to avoid a ticking off letter from the employment tribunal such as the one that we've received. If you have any questions at all about the content in today's podcast or as I said if you want any help yourself then do get in touch with us. We offer an initial free telephone call or consultation via Teams um, for a video call and then we can give you an estimate of costs and To be honest with you, if you are putting in a claim or defending a claim and you're planning on doing it yourself, then my recommendation is if you are going to spend any money, you're best placed to use your resources at that stage when you're putting in the the claim or defending it. It's much better to get that completely right at the outset to avoid a situation where then you are having to make applications to the employment tribunal later on. So do get in touch. The head office phone number is 01983. 897003 You can find all of our contact details on the website, which is realemploymentadvice.co.uk. And as always, it's really great to connect with any of you on LinkedIn. So do please reach out, connect with me. And if you listen to the podcast and you have any suggestions for future episodes, any questions you want answered, then do let me know. I hope you have a positive and productive week.